coming together on the Upozata day. It's a time to review our practice of Dhamma Vinaya, the training. We're all here to find peace in our hearts, to end suffering. And the Buddha left us with this pathway, method to end suffering. When we ordain, we undertake the training, the Adi Sila Sikha, Adi Jitta Sikha, Adi Panya Jitta Sikha. It's the higher training in virtue, and the higher training in concentration, and the higher training in wisdom. This is our method of practice, our system of training that will help us get to where we want, which is peace of heart, peace of mind, freedom from suffering. So the way of practice has already been laid down for us. It's up to us to use it to educate our own hearts and minds, to transform them through the power of Dhamma, truth. So we always begin with that which is the most obvious and necessary foundation for practice, sila, our training in the Patimoka, the various Vinaya rules of training and practices. Training in bringing our external speech and actions more under our control, under the guidance of mindfulness and wisdom, so that we're not creating unnecessary suffering for ourselves and others, because already the nature of life is bound up with dukkha. There's no need to inflict more on ourselves and others through our own careless behaviour or unwholesome, unskillful behaviour. So we're training to restrain our more extreme, unskillful states of mind, preventing them from leading on to actions and speech that might harm ourselves or others. The purpose of this is always to bring up the more refined awareness of mind, mindfulness and understanding as it becomes more, more peaceful through the practice of sila. We just naturally become more aware of ourselves, 
what we're saying, doing, and that leads back to the mind, what we're thinking, our intentions and our states of mind. Our awareness becomes more refined so that we can start to root out on a deeper level the causes of suffering. Ajahn Chah was always very good at summarizing what the practice is, giving it, giving it to us in clear pictures and brief statements which help point to the very important aspects of each part of the practice. So with Sila, <coughs> Even though there's many rules to learn, ways of practice, ways of behavior, which on paper seem quite detailed and easy to forget or overlook. One way he'd refer to Sila is it's that way of behavior that brings you to the point where you can be mindful of your in and out breaths. Meaning, when you have sila, you have virtuous behavior. You'll be able to turn to watch the breath and then contemplate anicca dukkha anatta in our experience. When sila is lacking, virtue is lacking from our behavior, the mind is just too confused and distracted to be able to focus on the breath. So that one statement is establishing the relationship between sila and samadhi, adi-sila-sikha, adi-jitta-sikha. The more effort and attention we pay to our speech and actions, the more we're laying the foundation for more refined states of awareness, more continuous mindfulness directed to the mind itself internally. This is what we're aiming for as bhikkhus, is to train the mind, the heart, the jitta, to know itself. Who is it that knows the mind? Well, it's the mind knows itself, as we train it to do that. We don't have to say there's anyone knowing itself or doing itself. It's just the mind is trained to be aware, be relaxed and calm enough, have enough clarity to know itself so that they can root out unwholesome mental states rooted in greed, anger and delusion. The sila, the practice and training in sila is directing us to be aware of our intentions that lie behind our speech and actions all the time. To be reflecting and reviewing back. To be developing the composure, the poise, the composure, so that we're mindful in all postures in all, at all times, 
so that we can turn our attention to more important things like the breath and contemplating the Dhamma. So it covers everything. When we talk about Adisila Jitsika, it's covering everything, not just precepts, as in five, eight, ten precepts, 227 precepts. It's covering more subtle and things, aspects of our life we might overlook, how much we sleep how we spend our time, how much we talk, how much we eat, where we go, what we do, as well as our main precepts, as these refined, more refined parts of sila practice that it's concerned with. All is about paying attention to what we're doing, to body, speech and mind every day, learning from experience and developing enough mindfulness to develop the equanimity that allows us to maintain sila, maintain precepts, whatever the situations we find ourselves in. And generally the monastic routine is fairly passive, <coughs> even though we might find extreme states of mind popping up from time to time. Externally, there's not actually a lot of stimulation. There's not actually a lot of confusion in day-to-day -day life compared with the lay life. That's why this system of training was developed to provide a suitable environment to train the mind. Nevertheless, we still have to experience different mood swings. We still have our internal mental states to deal with, stimulated by external conditions, involvement with people, the environment, the weather, activities and so on, but also prompted internally through just memories and different attachments we already hold coming up and affecting our behaviour. But the practice of sila is grounding us in equanimity towards all of that. So whatever anyone else is doing or saying, whatever the external conditions are like, we're on our own with others, we're meditating, we're working, we're eating, we're sleeping. The world around us is peaceful or busy, the weather is cold or hot, whatever, all these externals are just external conditions, but we're not letting them sway our mind and affect our sila. So obviously we're challenged from time to time. Our relations with other community members or the lay visitors, sometimes people praise us, might affect our practice of sila and virtue. If we get attached to it or excited by it, lost in it, Sometimes they criticize us and that might lead to a, a mood of disappointment or anger and so on. 
just practicing sila is learning to keep the mind even even if the conditions around us are uneven pleasant, unpleasant a multitude of various situations and conditions we find ourselves in we're keeping our mind even through the practice of the precepts sila, mindfulness of body and speech learning to be able to reflect on our experience rather than get caught up in it having enough awareness to know how to respond with mindfulness and wisdom and keep the precepts in these different situations if our mind is easily turned by external conditions that will affect our sila so when we get maybe lots of pleasant things happening we're getting the requisites we want we're getting praise and interest from others attention from others fame and fortune comes our way can easily delude us we get lost thinking maybe we're somebody special or something good can hide the Dhamma from us can lead us to break our sila. We might think, oh, it doesn't matter what I say and do with all this praise and attention. Or it can be the opposite. When we're criticized, the mind without mindfulness immediately goes to despair or anger, reacts and responds with anger, ill will, maybe towards others or just an internal state of depression and despair on our own. The highs and the lows of experience can lead us to affect our sila. We can become careless, unguarded, unrestrained because of external conditions. So we're learning to use the sila, the training to keep the mind even under all these different circumstances and not always expecting the world to change for us but bringing up the Dhamma so that we can adapt and be mindful towards the world for some people this is like a revolution in experience and learning to take responsibility for our own state of mind internally rather than trying to adjust the world outside to make it the way we want make other people and <coughs> external situations just how we want letting go of that and turning inwards to see well whether we're keeping the precepts and the vir virtuous behavior within these different situations that arise in daily life. Using the practices of a bhikkhu to develop mindfulness in this way over and over again, perfecting it, getting better at it, sometimes learning from mistakes, sometimes learning from what we do well, we can learn from both. 
learning to guard the mind so that we can turn attention inwards to be more aware of the arising of unwholesome mental states to abandon them or prevent them from arising and to uphold skillful mental states particularly mindfulness and wisdom so that we can reflect deeper to develop panya yadi panya sikha developing the clarity that penetrates to see that all phenomena are subject to an anicca dukkha anatta impermanent unsatisfactory not self the mind is so even and so clear so peaceful that is never deluded by these three characteristics of existence it's constantly there recognizing them and naturally letting go of attachment for that which is impermanent and not self but to get to that state we have to train in sila basic mindfulness over and over again keep reflecting on our behavior and developing the strength of mindfulness internally and this is something we have to learn how to do for ourselves we are supported by others around us if you're living with people who are more mindful it tends to bring up mindfulness in oneself but we can't always be dependent on teachers and other bhikkhus and other practitioners we also have to learn how to do it for ourselves and we have to be honest how do we keep our precepts when we're on our own when we leave the monastery or even just when we're on our own at our kuti we often delude ourselves and think oh we keep them very well because we're on our own and there's no particular issues with anybody but we should be careful to look carefully at our own behavior especially when we're on our own and then come into contact with different situations are we truly a samana yet is our virtue really well established and even is it sila in the way of an arya arya kante sila sila that doesn't degenerate in different conditions it's firm and stable Ajahn Chah used to talk about different kinds of bhikkhus who gave the example when walking around the village on arms round and most bhikkhus can learn to be quite restrained not to look around keep the mind calm walk at a steady pace eyes cast down not talking most of us can learn that quite well go around arms round come back to the monastery but what our mind has been doing internally during that period will vary from bhikkhu to bhikkhu some bhikkhus will be working hard to preserve their mindfulness object buddha or the breath or the recollection of the buddha whatever other bhikkhus even though externally they're restrained internally the mind is still getting caught up into unwholesome desires unskillful mental states wandering around thinking a lot 
Ajahn Chah said in one bhikkhu, very restrained on the outside, but goes around the arms, round, round the village, comes back to the monastery, hasn't spoken to anybody, but he knows everything that's gone on in the village, every household, what they're up to, which family are having relationship problems and arguments, which families got kids, which families got members overseas, who's doing well financially, who's poor and in debt. That bhikkhu externally very restrained, but the mind is just going out the whole time, absorbing information and fascinated by the soap opera, soap opera of other people's lives. So the practice of the sila running into practice of adijitasika samadhi, it's a refined thing moving from the outside to the inside to support the deeper contemplation that we're aiming for. And sometimes we just have to keep reflecting on our own experience, reminding ourselves how impermanent our own moods are, how they come and go, all the thoughts, the words, perceptions that feed different moods, how transient they are, just develop simple wisdom in that way, applying it to our own experience. Just notice in the course of one day, every how long does a thought last, a mood last, arising, passing away, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Just keep reflecting on that. Little by little, the mind naturally becomes wiser to itself. It knows a mood is just a mood. There's nothing much to get involved with or hold on to because it's just a mood. It's just a mental state arising, passing away. Feelings, sensations arise, pass away. And this is a training using all these three Sila Samadhi Panya working together train the mind to see the nature of experience. Developing that quality of just knowing the way things are with the heart itself, with balanced emotions, the evenness of sila and samadhi, and then wisdom cutting through delusion. Most of us have read a lot and heard a lot of Dhamma. We understand the words, but Ajahn Chah always pointed out the words on the page are not the same as the experience in your heart. You have to internalize those words, get to know your heart or read your heart. And these three trainings are doing that, bringing up that, the quality of just knowing your heart from moment to moment as you do your different duties, whether you're in meditation or working or moving around or eating, whatever. Sometimes it's useful to have different activities to keep the mind focused. It's a form of mindfulness practice. And some monks don't do so well, just staying at their kuti. They haven't got enough inspiration to sit and walk, so they end up just thinking a lot 
thinking too much. Sometimes it's useful to have things to do, study, work, do chores, do acts of service. But at the same time, keeping guard over the mind, using these different activities as a way to discipline the body and to focus on something, but at the same time being aware of the mind. Reviewing the mind, the state of mind, observing, learning when it falls into a, an unskillful state and letting it go, watching how impermanent it is. Little by little we're feeling the way to the point where we can be absolutely sure what the Buddha said, that we've, what we've heard and learned is really true. There's no doubt in the mind that what the mind experiences is an Icha Dukkha Anatta. We get to really see the nature of a human existence as this, birth, old age, sickness and death the arising and passing away of five candors, form, feeling, memory, thought formation, sense consciousness. Yet that clarity that there's no doubt and then the understanding that other people are just the same. All of us are exactly the same. Men, women, young, old, European, Asian, American, we're born, we get old, we die. Thoughts arise, pass away. Feelings arise, pass away. This is just the truth of nature, the way things are, that we can train our mind to see, to know, and become completely beyond doubt about. That's the way things are. And with that understanding, there's a release of attachment, and a release from suffering what we're all aiming for, release from all the ups and downs, the mood swings, the attachment to body and mind. The mind just knows it's not self, it's impermanent. Little by little that understanding becomes deeper and more profound. Till the mind can't, can't go wrong, attachment can't form because there's nothing to attach to. There's no person, no self to attach to. And all the different things we create as a self or an image of a self can't be attached to. So it disappears. We're constantly having the opportunity to practice that, bring the mind to the present moment with mindfulness. Restrained in the sila, establishing mindfulness and samadhi, and then just reflecting on the three characteristics. The mind can see the empty nature of the things that it used to attach to, used to get involved with and caught up in. Now it just knows them as the way they are.
if there's really that kind of insight then the mind is peaceful, rested because it doesn't have to chase after craving and attachment anymore craving can't harm it, condition it, stir it up make it restless or worried or angry or greedy the mind becomes rested, peaceful so body and mind become more and more tranquil as panya arises whenever you meet senior teachers have really understood the Dhamma they always have that sense of timelessness there's nothing to rush around for but there's nothing to slow down for either they don't have to be slow or fast things are just as they are they don't have to worry about all the external conditions, what other people think of them their success on worldly terms or their failure on worldly terms their health or lack of health all of these things become unimportant to the mind they're penetrated by wisdom they're not the source of contentment or happiness for the mind the true Dhamma doesn't degenerate, the true Dhamma doesn't delude, the true Dhamma <coughs> brings, brings clarity and brightness to the mind. Everything else is seen as second, taking second place or as being imitation because it does degenerate, can't bring true lasting happiness. when the mind has that understanding then all that's left is wisdom and compassion the mind knows when it's caught into delusion craving attachment it suffers and that same truth will apply to any being in the world anyone who's following craving and attachment will suffer so even though one's aware of the actions of others, one might realize others are harming themselves, creating negative karma through their actions. The person one can empathize with, one has compassion. One doesn't have compassion for the actions that are coming from ignorance and causing harm and suffering, but one can empathize with the person caught into delusion. One can forgive them wish them well the natural result of wisdom is always compassion understanding what is suffering what is, how is it caused seeing that in oneself, seeing that in others and knowing the only way to go is to free oneself from suffering we've all had plenty of suffering and others have all had plenty of suffering in the world far more useful to end the suffering through developing this training Sila Samadhi Panya so I'll leave you with these words to reflect on tonight <coughs>